Hello again. So my paper for this webinar is called The Chinese Virus, Reflections on the Web of Xenophobia and its Repercussions on Taiwan. On September 2nd, the government of Taiwan introduced a new design for its passport cover that I would like to show you. It was not an anecdotal change, but rather a bold declaration of intent, as evidenced by the fact that it was presented by the foreign minister Executive Yuan Spokesperson and the Director of the Consular Affairs Bureau at a press conference with a multitude of photographers. The change meant a significant increase in the size of the word Taiwan and a reduction of the words Republic of China, as you can see here in this image, until the words Republic of China virtually disappear inside the, the logo that are here. The words are here inside the, the icon representing the flag of Taiwan. The reason given that day by the authorities for such a sudden change, and to put it in perspective, it took 54 years to include the word Taiwan into the passport for the first time. It was in 2003 when it was included. So this sudden change, like reducing completely the Republic of China and increasing the size of Taiwan, was motivated by the wave of racism against ethnic Chinese xenophobia that was sweeping the world at that time. New passports were needed to prevent their nationals being mistaken for Chinese citizens, asserted and perturbed the foreign minister. The reasoning offered by the administration was soon seconded by the ideological state apparatuses, like Alcuse would say. The two main Taiwanese English language media, Taipei Times and Taiwan News, came out in defense of the measure by offering accounts of Taiwanese who had been stopped at European airports after being mistaken for Chinese citizens. Lamenting how frustrating and embarrassing, and I'm quoting, how frustrating and embarrassing for Taiwanese people is to be treated in such a way when arriving in a country. It is profoundly wrong that they should be inconvenienced and humiliated because of the myriad of failings of their totalitarian neighbors. And I unquote. This speech, defending the honor of the tribe, exudes a tacit acceptance and an implicit legitimation of the racism suffered by citizens of China. A dangerous precedent is accepted here. The wrong thing is not racism per se, but the racism is wrongly directed against us, instead of against those who really deserve it. Another editorial in the Taipei Times advised of the need of passport change before it even took place. It mentioned that, and I quote, amid rising anti-Chinese sentiments, Taiwanese travelers would do well without the word China on their passports. Then, to justify the urgent need for passport, or passport change, the editorial continued with a grotesque emotional maneuvering. And I quote, imagine a Taiwanese in the middle of a racial imbroglio desperately struggling to save himself in a potential violent attack. He could not flash his passport to prove that he is Taiwanese when the word China is on it, unquote. In an obscene act of cynicism, the authors argue that if a group of violent racists are going to beat a Taiwanese up, he could just get his passport out and convince them that despite looking exactly as a Chinese, he is not but a Taiwanese, a beloved ally against the communist evil that deserves to be spared. I believe that then the attack Taiwanese would probably have to explain the attackers 
The diplomatic status of the island, since racists around the world are not commonly experts in international relations. Racists are romantics and hate at first sight. They do not need to ask for documents first. This little joke, that is not funny at all, only highlights the vital urgency that suddenly exists for some in Taiwan to consolidate a well-recognized identity as opposed to that of China and exhibit it exhibit its existence to the world. Neither Taiwan authorities nor its supporting media have offered much combination of this deplorable way of xenophobia. The paradox does not exclusively lie in the cruel and absolute lack of compassion for demonstrated neighbors, or in the no defense of human rights by a country that portrays itself as a safeguard of, the, uh, safeguard of democracy. The biggest inconstancy resides in the lack of combination of racism against individuals who share the same Asian ethnic traits or even belong to the Han ethnic group, same as the majority of Taiwanese do. Moreover, the attempt to avoid the wave of racism by wearing the card of belonging to a different country might be futile, as shown by the fact that Vietnamese, Korean, Japanese, or even Filipino citizens have suffered racist attacks abroad after being mistaken for Chinese during the pandemic. By mid-February, the pandemic caught up with my Taiwanese companion and me in India. As I have reported elsewhere, we experienced increasing discrimination, even verbal attacks, on the streets of Rajasthan, largely because of the ethnic Chinese origins of my partner. The last day, already at the airport, we met a Malaysian couple of Chinese ethnicity who had spent the whole last three days of their vacation inside the hotel room ordering food with Uber Eats, not daring to go out, simply waiting for their flight to escape the country. After our story became somehow viral in India, I received several personal messages of Indian people who lived in the northern areas and had Chinese ethnic traits, confessing to me how they were suffering the same sort of discrimination. As these accounts pretend to exemplify, it is not easy to avoid xenophobia, no matter what passport one carries in the pocket. What has turned the movement of Taiwanese around the world in a night into a nightmare is not solvable with a simple change in passport design. It goes far beyond that, especially when the alleged change is a mere cosmetic redesign with the goal to circumvent an in-depth constitutional debate on whether the name of the Republic of, of China should be changed for that of Taiwan. This is a debate already going on in certain spheres supported by important shares of the Taiwanese society and will undoubtedly take the spotlight sooner than later around the anti-Cold War narrative. The anti-China sentiments and the subsequent xenophobia are not a new phenomenon neither in Taiwan nor anywhere else in the world, but the degree of acceleration and intensity of such anti-Chinese rhetoric is alarming, since this discursiveness is not merely decorative, but rather performative transforming identities, identities and reshaping political alliances and projects. This explains why negative views of China have reached astonishing historic highs in many countries during the pandemic. Of course, the problem is also diplomatic. As measures against China emerge everywhere, the dilemma of including then Taiwan as a province of China is becoming more and more present. For example, when Chinese citizens were barred from visas and access to numerous countries, Taiwanese citizens suffered the same battle, despite the fact that the island never suffered 
a serious outbreak of the virus, they were simply included in the ban for being a province of China. Similarly, on March 3rd, we were kicked out from our hotel in India because the local government decided that citizens of 15 countries, against all logic, including Taiwan, but not Spain, I'm from Spain, and in Spain the pandemic was by that time, the cases were mounting, could not be accommodated in the hotels and had to be rejected upon check-in. In any case, the passport redesign can neither be reduced to a simple administrative decision to facilitate the travel of Taiwanese around the world and avoid racism, nor even to a diplomatic advance towards international recognition of independence. Its implications are much deeper and dramatic, embedded as part of the Smithian friend-enemy dialectic in which Taiwan and the rest of the world have embarked in the wake of the pandemic. At this point, it is relevant, it's relevant to mention that mainstream Taiwanese media is one of the few, together with the most radical press in the US and the gang of its president, that still commonly calls the pandemic Wuhan coronavirus or China's coronavirus. Yeah, I show one example. But it should come as no surprise since even the Taiwan Ministry of Health and Welfare's website still officially identifies it as Wuhan pneumonia. Yeah, we have it for those who doesn't speak Chinese. This is Wuhan Feiyan, which is the Wuhan pneumonia. This is the official website of the Ministry of Health. There is no doubt that some sectors in Taiwan celebrate and look to benefit from the anti-China sentiment spreading around the world as China is blamed for, for the pandemic. This stance can be understood as a short-term tactic to benefit from the exemplary management of Taiwan by highlighting it in contrast to the negative image of China as a source of the virus. Digging deeper, however, it is also a political stance, a manner to display loyalty to its selected allies and to contribute its grain of sand to the discursive articulation of China as the common, common global enemy. Through this process, the government, its media, and a large part of Taiwanese society see the opportunity, even the need, to embrace the anti-China narrative and contribute with such rhetoric to construct, construct a polarizing reality in which China is often portrayed as having created and exported the virus. Some even argue that in a premeditated manner aiming to control the world, and on many other alleged evil acts in the last months and years. The rhetoric of the enemy has reached such a degree of domination that whichever claim is uttered against China, no matter how radical and unlikely it sounds, becomes true or at least feasible. A paradise for those who thrive, who thrive in the realm of conspiracy theories, disinformation and fake news. It is a field of contestation without almost any opposition, since those who defend a different standing are tarnished as China lovers, weak politicians, perpetrators, or suspicious spies, thus leaving a very narrow space for neutrality, moderation, or discrepancy in the analysis of this conflict. The new Cold War against communism is, like the old one was, a conflict in black and white, where gray approaches are quickly demoted. Everything the enemy does is evil. Everything the enemy says is a lie, unless it is a military threat, which cannot be a tactical hoax, but only a demonstration of the true nature of the CCP. Here, the discursive construction of identities manifests itself clearly 
to the crystallization of the flawless Taiwanese sovereign people united vis-a-vis the evil Chinese nation and the immoral and the moral elites of the CCP, the Chinese Communist Party. In the midst of the hegemonic struggle between the United States and China, the challenge for Taiwan is not so much to achieve a quiet international recognition of the self-government that it already enjoys, but to loudly distance itself as much as possible from the despised global enemy, not to be dragged down by the common elements shared starting by the word China, included in their official names. Thus, the important history, culture, and ethnic traits that Taiwan shares with China have to be downplayed or progressively eliminated, so as not to confuse the interlocutor, to whom an image of radical difference from the oppressive enemy has to be unambiguously offered. This is a problematic of the order of discourses, rather than a diplomatic one. Once embarked in the anti-China boat, Taiwan has entered a one-way street that ties its future to the U.S. in its hegemonic struggle against China. The pro-U.S. approach is predominant in Taiwanese media, and the political propaganda transpires to society. Not in vain, Taiwan is one of the few democracies in the world, if not the only one, where polls showed major social support for Trump over Biden in the upcoming U.S. election. Schmidt identified a long time ago the planetary doctrine of universalist imperialism, where universal principles and values are employed as weapons for an interventionism disguised as a defense of democracy and human rights, of which, of course, the U.S. is the legitimate representative. The last course of action defended by the U.S. is that Taiwan has to become a fortress able to defend itself since the U.S. does not offer any official guarantee to military intervention in the case of armed conflict with China. The U.S. administration says to support Taiwan and Hong Kong because of its democratic values, although there are good reasons to believe that the main goals are the substantial arms sales and the direct threat that Taiwan, as a slightly disguised U.S. advanced military base like Okinawa, means to China's stability and hegemonic projection. We would remember that the U.S. also supported Taiwan against China when the island was governed by a proto-fascist dictatorship. So democracy does not seem to be here the explanation for the U.S. interventionism. But beyond diplomacy and geopolitics, as I said, the most immediate conundrum is one of discourse and identity, which in turn threatens to create a thorny social polarization within Taiwan. Antagonistic discourses are potentially destabilizing particularly when emerging from racist hatred and biased information. Within the front enemy narrative deployed today in Taiwan, those in the orbit of the KMT opposing further involvement in the U.S. strategy of radical opposition to China are commonly depicted as pro-Chinese and anti-democratic, branded as traitors, or, at the very least, of lack of patriotism or integrity. An internal division is drawn between the authentic people and those considered as collaborators or fifth columnist agents who have to be censored or directly disqualified from democratic participation. I quote, to safeguard this beloved land and their free and democratic way of life, Taiwanese must be vigilant and clearly distinguish between themselves and their enemies. 
stated an editorial in Etape Times. Immersed in this new Cold War, the political context in Taiwan is shifting from being one of democratic conflict between supporters of diplomatic recognition of independence and supporters of an approach to China to become one of the defense of national security by loyal Taiwanese patriots against infiltrators and traitors who dare to contradict the anti-China mantra. As Balliol says, elaborating on Carl Smith's distinction between the foreigner legitimate collective enemy and the illegitimate interior enemy, the interior bandit becomes a source of dissension and must be eliminated by any means necessary in order to preserve order and the state. As the situation of confrontation escalates and the risk of military conflict rises, the materialization of anti-democratic measures against the internal enemies equally develops. The controversial Anti-Infiltration anti Act to prevent Chinese interference in the Taiwanese media, the Act governing relations between the people of the Taiwan area and the mainland area that censors Taiwanese promoting closer ties with China, or the Investment Commission that ensures that companies in Taiwan cannot have Chinese controlling capital, are initial examples of a treacherous path. Any relation with China is sanctioned, while media connections and foreign capital coming from countries like the US is welcome, favoring in this way just one interpretation of what Taiwanese can aspire to be. The dominant media in Taiwan, openly pro-government, pro-DPP, and pro-independence, contributes to this drift by raising, raising reactionary arguments towards, for example, not renewing media licenses to those who show a different ideology, and I mean a pro-China um, approach, or proposing to amend legislation to forbid Taiwanese artists to perform in China and so save safe in, of the country. Progressively, the treatment given by the institutions of Taiwan to its citizens is one of not trusting the deliberative capacity and admonishing those who do not support the proper side of the Cold War. In this manner, the polarization of discourse is risking the whole social foundation of Taiwan as a democratic and open society, moving it in a direction to the old times of the anti-communist witch hunt. In a daring suggestion, or perhaps a threat, a recent editorial in the Taipei Times surprisingly claimed, and I quote, it is time to turn Taiwan into the anti-communist fortress that Chiang Kai-shek wanted, quote. China jeopardizes Taiwan's sovereignty, and Taiwan will have to decide during this new Cold War which allies they want to join, what discourses they support and encourage, and if democracy can be sacrificed in order to maintain autonomy. What seems irrefutable is that the progressive construction of Taiwan's identity within the global anti-China hegemony led to an unavoidable breakdown of the status quo in the Strait, moving both sides towards an ill-fated conflict. For there to be a solution, either Taiwan or China has to give up their positions completely, what seems impossible under this transmission state of affairs.